0: And a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Glenn Stahlsmith. Glenn is a pastor who serves two United Methodist churches in rural North Carolina. He's also a THD student at Duke Divinity School. For 12 years, he lived in the Philippines, working as an ethnomusicologist with Wycliffe Bible Translators. He's also the reviews editor of Global Forum on arts and Christian faith. I give you Glenn Stallsman. Glenn, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me back. I guess this is my sophomore appearance on uh, Synaxis.
0: But you are like key because for a couple of give and take interviews, you've been my tech guy on the ground. Thanks. Yeah, so, it's been a mean, pleasure. Huge, yeah. huge.
1: I'm, I'm hoping that there will at some point be a five timers club for Synaxis and that I can like be welcomed in, you know, by Michelle given a smoking jacket with a big five embroidered
0: on it. Has Michelle been on five times?
1: Oh, he's going to get there before any of us.
0: He might, he might. I, might, I don't know. I didn't go. I, I might get somebody else there before him, just just so when he hears <laughs> this, to, he'll he'll be like, ah. Just to swoop in. <laughs> so we got some interesting texts for the fifth, this is the fifth Sunday in Lent, right? Yeah. We got, first off, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Here we've got the days are coming, says the Lord, where there's going to be a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And it's not going to be like the covenant I made when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke. So here, you know, and, and then it goes on to say, I'll put the law on their hearts. Um, they will know the Lord. You know, no longer will they have to teach each other, to know the Lord for they'll know me from the least mm-hmm. to the greatest and it will involve forgiveness of sins. And a forgetting of sins. There's forgiving and forgetting. So, what's the deal with the new covenant? <laughs> is yeah, I want to like, be like Seinfeld. What's with the new covenant?
1: <laughs> I think you have to play with the idea of new versus renewed, and it's a great key into thinking about what resurrection is. Um, it, there's there's a there's a tendency to look at this text and and think about it just kind of. Just leaving aside everything God did, wiping it out and starting over, you know, from scratch. But if you've been working on these covenant texts through the last few weeks in the lectionary and you and you landed on Genesis 9 with, with Noah, the covenant with Noah, you remember that God said he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to wipe things out and start over anymore. That's not how he's going to deal with humanity. So I think that forces us to give a different reading to this. Um, As much as we might want to do the supersessionist thing, say, oh, all that Old Testament stuff needs to go to the side. God's going to do this brand new thing and build from scratch. I'm not sure we get permission to do that here in Jeremiah 31. Say more about that. I think about the people that I preach to on a regular basis. And and there's a real strong piety about thinking about what the new heaven and the new earth are going to be. That are promised in revelation and I think the assumption is that this current reality in which we live is just going to get completely obliterated um, probably by nuclear heads <laughs> and uh, and uh, and maybe the current administration is hastening us towards our, our next age um, but uh, but I think they just they expect that the new heaven and new earth are just going to be completely you know re- complete replacements for this terrible existence in which we're placed. And I I just, I I think if you read the scriptures through Jesus resurrection, you have to come to grips with the fact that Jesus had the same body uh, after the resurrection as he did before it was transformed. It was renewed. It was resurrected, but still the scars there. And so new covenant, renewed covenant, new heaven, new earth, Versus renewed creation, I, I think you have to play with those a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I think that that you have this, you know, certain parts of the of of the First Testament sound like the covenant with God's people is unconditional. And other parts sound mm-hmm. like it's really conditional. And right. as you're reading it, you have to figure out, well, how do you square this? It's interesting because... This is squared on you know as Bart would say in Church of Max Four One. is God the Judge is judged in our place in the person of the Son. So there's a sense in which God's it's not like God's justice and love are intention, but it's actually mm-hmm. the justice serves the love and and God bears the judgment. So you know in in our place, and so it's just it's interesting that you know Aristotle says and I think it's in the Poetics that that you basically. A good story is one where you can't anticipate the next piece, the next dramatic piece mm. of the climax. But then sure. once you read it, you're like, well, it couldn't happen any other way, right? right. And that's the problem with stuff that we see that's frustrating Dram- dramatically in film or television. Either we could predict it or it's so far-fetched. You're like, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the story, but stuff like, oh, you couldn't have written it any other way. Uh-huh. And it's interesting when Jesus bursts on the scene and says basically that the law the essence of the law is love mm-hmm. and you know as the reformers would uh, wanted to point out that you can't you can't the the problem with the law is not that it's bad I mean, this is a pauline notion right it's 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 that it's powerless to provide what it demands so right. if it says that we have to love god and all that god's made love can't law can't make you do that like it, it could restrain you but it can't reshape you and so it seems like the tell I've heard anti Wright say that this like he looks at the, the like the law of Jesus being the telos namas the, you know the end of the law, and he says, you know, imagine the space shuttle and the rockets you know the boost rockets came off, and the astronauts were like, Oh, you might need them and went and got and went and like got in their spaces to get out and get the boost rockets no they' <laughs> their their purpose has been served mm. and now the the shuttle is in orbit and in so, in some ways maybe is it is it like the t- the purpose of the law is that it gives way to love, mm-hmm. which is non-coerced, you know, that's, which is, you know, it's lifeblood is the spirit.
1: Yeah. And at the same time, I'd want to think about, you know, God working in such a way that nothing's wasted. You know, the, the, the booster rocket thing to me, leaves falls a little flat for me. I'd love to think that, that, that God's a good recycler, right? <laughs> that everything um, well play N.T. Wright right for that analogy. <laughs> I I'm a big fan. I hate to do that. I'll have to go I'll have to go look that up. Come on, Thank if God, if got
0: come on, God is American, which means God's wasteful. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet
1: the sin.
0: Speaking of uh, of non-American gods, <laughs> let's go to the book of <laughs> Hebrews. Uh, sure. This is an interesting text. Right here we have this text from early in the book of Hebrews, where we get, or, no, sorry, Hebrews 5, rather where mm-hmm. it talks about uh, Christ did not glorify himself for becoming a high priest, but he was appointed. And then there's this quote, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Uh, and, he said, and then they, he, there's an allusion to Melchizedek. And it, it talks about how although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. For all who obey him, having been designated by God, a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek getting a lot of play here.
1: Yeah. Almost more than in Genesis 14.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Where he makes his appearance.
0: Yeah. There's a passage in the new, in the NIV study Bible where it's saying, you know, like Melchizedek, you know, you know, where Melchizedek is putting out the bread and wine for the kingdom, of, for Abraham after his military defeat. And they like, the, the footnote says, this has nothing to do with the new Testament ordinance of communion. And I'm like, are you are you so theologically unimaginative? Because I remember Peter Lighthart might have pointed that because it's like this is this is exactly communion. You're eating a, a, a you're eating an eschatological meal in a land you don't yet possess. Like th- like that's what we do every week of the Eucharist. We're promised vi- victory, attaining the the, the the new creation and our new you know the reception of our bodies. So, yeah, we eat the foretaste of that ahead of getting our destiny. I'm like wow, what a really unimaginative note writer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like what what's the instinct that wants us to to shut down the potential for making allusions between the scriptures? I mean, that you know, the early early patristic writers, you know, that's all they did was find those kind of connections. And, and why here in the 21st century are we are we wanting to 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 shut those off? Like nope, th- these clearly have nothing to do with each other. Please don't make that connection. <laughs> it's like,
0: really? Uh we are unenlightened. Yeah, we are certainly unenlightened people. So, are you going to preach on this text and all? You
1: going to hit on this? I'm. Uh, I doubt it. Um, it's still early in the week, but I have a hard time thinking that I'll that I'll even read it. Um, I usually pick two of these passages to have read and preach on one. So it just doesn't grab you. He's- it doesn't. You almost have to. You'd almost. I think you'd almost have to preach on it and preach on it very carefully um uh to to do justice to it and i am and i'm thinking i'm going to land on john 12 um w- one of those pa- one of the passages here in hebrews 5 that i that i find tough that requires some explanation is that a surface reading could really it could really be a pelagian's dream here yeah yeah I mean, yeah,
0: yeah right right right
1: if you really want to beat up in your congregation if you're upset that you're th- that you're not growing fast enough or you're not out in in mission and evangelism enough you just you can just whip up on your congregation and say, "Well, it's because you're not praying enough." I mean, look at Jesus; God answered His prayers because of because of His intense um, His intensity and His obedience. So, what's wrong with you?
0: <laughs> yeah, answer the prayer to go right to the cross. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean that's it's interesting too. You know, I was watching the show uh, "Heavy Sun." I think it was called "Heavy Sun." It's on Hulu. But it's about this sort of conspiracy of this. The government finds out about this global warming thing, it's, and
1: it's not a reality show.
0: No, no, no. I no. thought it
1: was a weight loss show.
0: Yeah, and, and like no, the, okay. the government fi- finds out about this way, and then and like there's this people aren't sure as this tape gets out this, if it's really true or not that this, there's going to be a solar flare event and the world's going to end quickly and all this stuff. But this one guy it, it enables it, it. It sort of inspires all these crazies, and. It's a great thriller. I mean, it's really good. It, but this one guy is a former pious Catholic. He's he's and he's doing all these terrible things, making confession to his priest because he doesn't believe in God anymore because of he's worked with refugees and stuff. And the priest says, God only had one son into this world, born without sin, but every son is with uh, every son is with suffering. Hmm. And it was inter. It's interesting because, wow. like, yeah, it was brilliant. And I thought I was thinking of this Hebrews passage today in that context, where like where what Jesus shares with us is the school of suffering, but he lives in it in a sinless fashion, which we don't. Mm. So he doesn't just share our sin, but shares our suffering.
1: Yeah, and there's a also some passages here that are hard to square christologically, which again, like for. Example verse five, today I have begotten you.
0: Yeah, right, right, right. Unless
1: you're just gonna pass right over that and not and not try to explain, which I guess I probably would not want to get into the finer points of, of the begottenness of the Son, um if I were preaching on this passage, but
0: And there's a difference, right, too, like creaturely begottenness and eternal begottenness. I mean there's mm. the begets yeah. the begets. Yep. <laughs> It's interesting too, because you think of like the the trifold office of Christ, like, you know, prophet, priest, and king, but you know, James Jordan, who was like Peter Leihardt's mentor, he says, you know, in redemptive history, they get laid out, out in reverse for, well, in a different mm-hmm. order, first come priests who are servants of God, who are servants of God for the people and the people forget, but then he's a king sort of are the next stage and there's this mm-hmm. kind of ruling and then. Prophets, he thinks, are the highest age because they're sh- they share in the divine counsel. Mm. So it's kind of like it's uh, you know. So I was thinking about it in light of that that new covenant idea in Jeremiah that that maybe we all become prophets. You know, your sons and daughters will prophesy. There's since it's the, the the new covenant, where this highest relationship to God, sharing in the divine council, is maybe the grace gift <clears throat> of adoption into Christ.
1: And will this new covenant lead us to a time when prophecy is irrelevant? The law is etched on our hearts. We don't need prophets anymore.
0: Right. We don't have to teach other to know that it says that basically in Jeremiah. Yeah. You know, I took the poison from the poison stream. Then I floated out
1: of
0: here. So let's go on to the gospel reading. Here we go. We're at, we're at, this is, you're probably going to hit on this one, huh? I
1: imagine so. We've been working through, through these passages in John throughout Lent. So I probably will preach on this and it will be hard to, to land on a particular thread because uh, this is like a, these verses uh, 20 through 33 are just like a, a series of recapitulations and echoes that you have not just in John, but with the synoptics too. And a good sermon certainly couldn't go through all of them. It just uh, the preacher is just going to have to find, you know, one or two to land on. But just the introduction where Philip and Andrew kind of make way for these Greeks that are coming to Jesus is, just harkens back to chapter one where Jesus is calling the disciples in the first place. Um, it, I don't know if you call it a reversal Um, where Jesus sought them out and now they're working the opposite way to bring people to Jesus. It's almost like an epiphany text, um, bringing people bringing these, these Gentiles or, or perhaps um, Hellenized Jews, whatever Greeks means in this text um, to Jesus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too, right? Because you have the first seeker of Jesus in John was last week, right? Nicodemus. Mm. And then we have the last seeker in public here, I think, you know, these Greeks Mm -hmm. and neither go away seemingly completely satisfied or getting it right,
1: so to speak. Yeah, they're both scandalized by what Jesus says, the whole Nicodemus with the born again, born from above. It's like, what what is that about? And then you Jesus uses this this instance to launch right into the scandal, Um, which, again, we have no no clue about whether that satisfied them or not. Um, but, it, you know, chapter three, we looked at last week, snakes in the desert, lifting the snake up on a pole, Jesus identifying with that image. You have that recapitulated here when he's lifted up all things or all people, depending on which authority you go by, will be drawn to him. Um He's he's predicting his death, which he did in chapter two. He references the ruler of this age or the ruler of this world, which he did in chapter three. Um, I, so I would say a, a sermon needs to find one of those threads and go with it and link it back to something that's been
0: preached um, in recent weeks. Yeah, it's interesting too because I think I think this is probably right. Like the, that in most of the gospels in the other in the synoptics, the cross is. The the humiliation, the abasement of the Mm -hmm. sun, right? And the resurrection is the exaltation of the sun. Mm -hmm. And John, the cross is the exaltation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like all one move, isn't it? The lifting up could be the crucifixion. It could be the resurrection. It could be the ascension or probably D, all the above.
0: Yeah. It seems like the primary accent is on, is on the cross. Mm Mm-hmm. It's interesting too in 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 um this great commentary by Dale Bruner on John which is the best, it's one of my favorite commentaries just it's a model commentary but he is quoting Craig Keener here and he says Keener lays out all these the several paradoxes in Jesus sermon of crucified glory remarking there's no Johannine speech which successively has so many contra- contrasting motives as is here the case. So he says verse 23, the hour, as Jesus' death hour, um, is paradoxically the hour of glory. Verse 24, the death of the corn of wheat is paradoxically the condition of fruitfulness. Mm
1: -hmm. Verse
0: 25, whoever loves life loses it. You know, paradoxically, whoever hates it will preserve it, (laughs) paradoxically. Mm -hmm. Verse 26, the follower to the death will be where Jesus is in glory. Verse 27, 28, the hour of soul troubling is paradoxically the hour of glorification. Verses thirty-one, and thirty-two. the hour of judgment, paradoxically, is the hour of exaltation. Verse 34, the <laughs> exaltation, paradoxically, is that of the Son of Man. That's just very interesting, all those, like all those little subtle paradoxes in one compressed yeah. pericope, a speech of Jesus.
1: Yeah, and again, find one or two, preacher. And, and hone in on that because it'd be very difficult to handle all of those um, in one message. Did you know that this was uh, Oscar Romero's last sermon? I did not know that when he was assassinated or martyred, in, in 1980 it was apparently the fifth or the fifth Sunday af- of Lent. Um, he had just preached a sermon on John 12.
0: Wow! Yeah. Well, well preachers, I hope you fare better after church than Romero. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great movie, by the way. Yeah, it right. is. I mean, it's a fantastic, fantastic, interesting guy. Yeah, the other thing that's interesting too, I think about, it, like in light of this, the this passage that you think of, like, L- Luther's Heidelberg Disputation, the whole theology of glory versus the theology of the cross, and how you know the theolo- the theologian of glory, kind of has to sort of dress things up, and the theologian of the cross can deal with reality as it is mm-hmm. and understands how that were lifted up by the Christ. It's interesting. I just hear a lot of people, especially people that sort in certain segments of conservative Protestantism, it seems like they have a theology about the cross, but not a theology of the cross. Uh. So they, when they sort of talk, they turn the theology about the cross into a theology of glory. <laughs> and it's kind of human form of apotheosis where you beat other people up and say, and say how you know enlightened you are and that sort of thing. We're, Jesus it, there there's not the tone of losing life in it right and and it's it'd
1: be hard to glean a strong substitutionary atonement message out of this passage um, just get a very different atonement model um i'm sure you could read it in there if you try but um not a lot of talk of covering my sins here in 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 John's description of what Jesus is gonna do.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you know, this is where I think the cross, right, is both the the means of our salvation, right? What cures our salvation and how we live it. Mm. You know, there's that great Frank Lake quote, I might have quoted on Snacks before, but Lake says basically when, you know, it, it when we look at like our humanity as a container for like our own virtue, our own power, our own like, you know, good things. And then we go and look, and inevitably the cupboard looks bare. You know we're troubled. He says, "You know, but if we let the bottom get knocked out of humanity, it ruins it as a bucket, but creates a great channel, and that's what we're meant to be. Yeah, channels of the life and energy of God Himself. And so, it's 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 not just this. It's it's the cross isn't just our means of eternal life, but it, it's it's the way of the cross and the rejection of of, of the theology of glory and embracing the spirituality of the cross that is the means by which we put on that salvation in this life.
1: Yep. Yep, Jesus is not afraid of heading towards it, is he? He's not afraid of taking the cup. Yeah. In this passage.
0: Yep. Yeah, and it's interesting the question like it's less like WWJD like what would Jesus do, but it's more like WHJD what has Jesus done? <laughs> what has he done for me? Yeah. And then, and that's the invitation into living And then what is he doing now? Like, where is he leading me now? Like, it's not imitatio Christi, it's participatio Christi. Right. Well, may you be blessed, brother, as you preach these texts this week. And blessings to our listeners. I hope our conversation was helpful. It was fun for me.
1: It was fun for me, too. Thanks for having me back.
0: Of course, man. I'll have you back again. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Glenn for coming on the podcast. You can find his stuff at MeaningfulWorship.Blogspot.com. And thanks to you again for listening. Till next time, friends. Fare thee well.